heavy blow to the skull. This is not a test. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to DestalProds.com, movies and television podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dad. Joining me today, we have Cave. As always. Yes. You, can <laughs> you say, as always, I'm always here. <laughs> yep. Probably do something about that sometime. A lot of our other shows have three hosts. Yeah, he's just looking to replace me. No, I couldn't replace you. Like literally, I couldn't replace you. You, you're kind of the main contributor around here. You show up every time. <laughs> yeah, honestly. <laughs> anyway, uh. yes, movies and TV. We have been watching some of that, and I know to the negative people who follow this fucking show, it's been a while. We previously recorded an episode, and then I scrapped it because I'm a fucking idiot. What that means, I leave up to your interpretation. But we're here. Yes. We have to things to talk about. Because <laughs> I could say what happened, but no. It's it's more entertaining for them to guess. Yeah. That negative one person. Yeah. So you're here to talk about movies and stuff. Uh, and I guess I'll start out because I probably watched the most most recent and big things. You watched my penis? Oh, sweetie. Bigger than yours. <laughs> sure, man. Anyway. That's how we're starting the show today, guys. <laughs> penis jokes. It's been a while, but they we, they needed to come back. But yeah, so uh, I watched Spider-Man, the new Spider-Man No Way Home. It finally came out on mm. streaming and VOD and stuff, and I got a chance to watch it. This is probably the worst of the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies. I agree with that one. I agree with that statement. I I still enjoyed it. Until the ending. Yeah, I... I was mid on it... So I, I was really into it for like the first third. Mid on it into the second third. And then in the final third, just fucking hated it. Well, hated it and also felt mid on it because it was it was basically one moment that I hated. And movie just came out on streaming, so if you don't want spoilers, just skip ahead, like whatever. I'm not gonna put a time code because fuck it, it's Spider-Man who gives a shit. It yo, fucking Aunt May's death meant nothing. It really fucking didn't. Because like it was such a waste. It was entirely a waste. Largely, like, par- partially because, you know, Marissa Tomei is a great actress and that character had some legs that could have gone places with her. But also because she didn't need to because he was already Spider-Man. He was already Spider-Man. He was already applying great responsibility. Yeah, I I don't know like, if this version of Spider-Man had an Uncle Ben. I don't care if the Spider-Man version of a Spider-Man had an Uncle Ben because he's not a necessary character for this Spider-Man. Well, no. So like he's been, already he had, already had his uncle Ben and fucking Tony Stark. Well, no. So the so for the majority of Spider Men, the impetus to becoming the Spider Man is the Uncle Ben. 
Or the Uncle Ben equivalent in Ghost Spider's case. Yeah, just just the first death that is, in the grand scheme of things, their fault. But not really, because they couldn't have possibly foreseen that happening. So, he was already... Yeah, this movie does quite a few unnecessary things to try and get Spider-Man on the main spider course. Yeah, like, Which so... just pisses me off. Yes, yeah, so like, if we will remember, in fucking uh, the first Spider-Man movie and in Civil War, when Spider-Man was introduced, he already had a great power because responsibility thing where with... If you can do the things I can, and people get people get hurt, be, and like if you do the thing, if you can do the things I can do, and you don't help, and people get hurt, they get hurt because of you. That's it. With great power comes great responsibility, but way less marketable. And within Homecoming, once Ned fucking found out, then Peter started freaking out. I was like, "Hey, you can't. You got to keep the stick to yourself." Aunt May can't know after what she's been through. With the implication there being that it was the Uncle Ben. Mm-hmm. which means that like that which means something uncle ben ish had happened that led him being led to him being spider-man and him deciding not to tell his aunt may about it but then pff, fuck all that he needed he we needed to actually have the fucking sentence yelled into our goddamned face by a dying person and then pff, oops oops where did this fridge come from Yeah, it's just, it's not good. It's not good. It's fucking worthless. Aunt May's death is absolutely, completely and utterly pointless. It does nothing to to progress the character, does nothing to progress the story. All it does is give him the impetus to, oh, can I just say that the ending of this movie is one of the worst I have experienced in a long time. Okay. Let's hear your thoughts on that, then. All right. So, this was the best Spider-Man. Was. Because he had a support network. Because he was actually had the resources to use his brain to make the world a better place. Because he had a girlfriend who liked him and actually cared about him. Because he was actually, you know, helping people and having people support him in helping him, in helping them. Like, he had a mountain of things that made him better than every other Spider-Man, and it was all the people around him. Yeah, this Spider-Man... And they just said, nah. Yeah, fuck all of them. Who needs a support neck when you have fucking angst, bro? And the way they wrote that ending really pissed me off. Because I was like, all right, he's going to fix it all. He's going to tell them who he is. He's going to at least start trying to become their friend again. No. (laughs) To rip a line from from Batman. You baited me and then switched it out. To rip a line from Batman, he has an engine built on pain. You take away the pain and the engine stops working. Except it worked for two fucking movies. <laughs> I know, it's ridiculous. It worked fucking great for two movies. It was fucking ridiculous. Like, like Spider-Man, like Peter Parker Spider-Man, eventually grew that support network and it did, 
and it worked great for him. Yes, his family was in danger, but they were already in danger. Now they were aware they were in danger and could Their take proactive all, steps like, toward it. That's the part that I hate most. Is this Spider-Man understood the, yeah, it's going to put you in danger, but supervillains were already attacking. At least now you can be aware in case they figure out who I am and you can just kind of, you know, sell me out immediately or something. Well, no, actually, what the fun thing with this Spider-Man was, he didn't... The, the fun thing with the Spider-Man is that he didn't actively tell people he was Spider-Man. They just kept finding out. Yeah, they figured it out. And, oh, oh, that line from Mary Jane really pissed me off. It's like, I already figured it out once. I'll figure it again. And then at the end, she instead of being like, oh, yeah, and I know you're Spider-Man or something. It's like, she's just like, nope, doesn't matter. I don't want there to be a fourth movie. <laughs> I don't want a fourth movie in the Spider-Man franchise anymore. Like, wow. I was... I was like, yeah, and we're going to get another one, and it's going to be him rebuilding those relationships, and it's going to be great. Fuck it. Fuck it. What's probably going to end up happening, should they make a fourth one, is it's going to be some fucking villain is going to be like, hey, I remember Spiderman. I'm going to go after his people, and then he'll have to force, and he'll be forced to reveal to them, hey, I'm Spiderman. We also had a thing in blah, 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 assuming they don't introduce a Gwen Stacy. Oh, no. You know they gotta, man. Uh... You know they fucking have to. But no, I enjoyed the movie until the ending. In my opinion, there are two ways, there are like, there are two ways to enjoy a movie. You can either be in it for the ride or be in it for the ending. I'm usually in it for the ride. I'm usually in it for the story. And I am also of the opinion that a great ending can save a bad ride and a terrible ending can ruin a great ride. The Aunt, May, Aunt May's death, the train jumped the tracks. But the end fight scene with the team up of Spider-Man was enough to get the train back on the tracks. And then we crashed into a wall. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <It's>, and <laughs> that wall is a fucking band-aid on your forehead. <laughs> what? A single not arm in a cast, not in a wheelchair, a band-aid on your fucking forehead. I'm not I feel like I've lost the metaphor. I'm I'm really pissed that that's the thing that made Peter stop and say, "Oh, she's she got hurt. I can't tell her." Because like, like he was about to tell her, and then he saw the band aid, and that that's that's what broke him. They could have given her a more severe injury, so that it's actually like almost kind of sort of maybe. I keep okay. So out of context, Dead uh, sent me a meme to let me know that he was running late. <laughs> and I keep looking at the meme, and it keeps making me stop my rage to laugh. I will remove so it from the chat. Up no, I'm just going to scroll up slightly. It's fine. <laughs> um, But no, like, there are ways that it could have been done that I would have understood. I, hell, have her be like, Peter who? And then have him feel defeated. That would have been something. Well, that would have I would have been almost okay with. Because I still would have been mad. Well, why would he have walked in and gone like, like why? 
Why would she have said Peter who? Because he was supposed to, he like, he had a speech where it was like, my name is Peter Parker, blah, 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 blah. Ah, okay. I, I and, feel like I tuned out at that point. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was, mm. Mm, I still love the first two. Maybe they can bring it back, but I am going to have to hear like, oh yeah, within the first five minutes of the fourth movie. <laughs> like they figure it out and they start yelling at him for not telling him the telling them the truth. You know, that's that's what that's what has to happen in the fourth movie for me to be willing to see it. Man, I kind of like, love how like going into this movie, I was like, hey, they're doing one more day, but because of the track record they had, I feel like they're gonna do it properly. And then we get to this oh. thing and you have the level of rage people had about a re- about a regular one more day. At least they didn't do it with the devil. <laughs> Yeah. Because this, like, hands down, this was my favorite Spider-Man. You mean Tom Holland was your favorite Spider-Man? Yes. Okay, yeah, not this movie was your favorite Spider-Man. Not this movie. Tom Holland is my favorite Spider-Man. Yeah. I like all of the Spider-Men. <laughs> like, I even like the 1960s cartoon. I think it's a lot of fun. This is, Tom Holland is my favorite Spider-Man. Followed closely behind by Into the Spider-Verse Miles Morales. Okay, yeah. Like, they're, they're like it's it, it's um, honestly, the next Into the Spider-Verse movie might push Miles Morales ahead of Tom Holland. Yeah, Miles is, Miles is a really fun character, and I like the movie giving him the art stuff. Because it just gave him, it's like, for a lot of, for, for like, at, at least like, reading his run, um... A lot of things that were like differentiating him from Peter Parker were just things he wasn't that Peter was. Mm, fun. Which nothing gets like they still wrote the character well, and he was still like a fun character. And his his reasoning for becoming Spider Man, while still keeping within like the spider thing of oh god, I could have done something and this person wouldn't have died, it still felt fresh and different. Because uh, th- did you read any of the Miles Morales comics? I did read a little bit of it, but I'm I fell out of comics and haven't really gotten back into them. Okay, yeah. So in the Spider-Man in the Ultimate Spider-Man comics where Miles Morales showed up first, he got his powers. I really I am I one of the like I just have to ask, like, I didn't like Peter Parker Ultimate. Like, it was just kind of there. Yeah, that's fine. You know I mean, it was like, why is this a thing? Uh it's a thing because they wanted to bring in new readers and thought they'd be scared by going into issue seven hundred as opposed to issue three. Yeah, I, I didn't like. I didn't like. I didn't like one more day, Peter Parker. I mean, it was weak. One more day or ultimate? Sorry, not one more day. Ultimate Peter Parker. It was. It was weak. Yeah, and that's Especially totally fine. The love triangle thing they tried to put in for him. Yeah, that's totally fine. Uh, I will. D- I will defend Ultimate Spider-Man, but I will not defend it to the point where I'm saying like, "No, you're wrong." Is actually amazing. No, it's, it's like Ultimate Spider-Man is fine. If you're not into it, cool. But with uh, Miles Morales, he got his powers while Spider-Man was still out. Well, Peter Parker was still out being Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then they were so then like he and Genki were heading home one day and Miles told Genki about his powers almost immediately. Genki is basically the basically uh, Genki is who Ned is based off of. Yep. Yeah, told him about his powers immediately as they're walking home from, from school one day. They walk by a building on fire and Genki's like, dude, you can go in there and save people. Like there's still people up there and you gotta go save them. So Miles jumps in and saves them. The great moment where he like, just like jumps away using his spider powers of firefighter. It was like, I told you Spider-Man was black. 
Oh, I like that. That's actually really good. That's yeah. A good one. I don't remember that, but I like that line. And then Miles immediately throws up and starts crying because he cannot fucking handle being Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. he did the right thing, but it scared him to fucking death and he cannot handle that level of pressure. Which, understandable, he's like 12. Then Peter Parker dies. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, if I hadn't have been a pussy, this, this is his, this is his reasoning, not me putting, this is, this is like, you know, encapsulation of his reasoning. If I wasn't so fucking scared of being Spider-Man, maybe Peter Parker would still be alive. Which. And then he steps up. Yeah. And then he steps up, becomes Spider-Man. Uh. Aunt May and Gwen Stacy are both like, hey, great, good job. Good job keeping on the legacy. Here's Peter's web shooters. Then Captain America, a cunt, comes yeah, in. Captain and America is fucking garbo in the Ultimate Universe. Ultimate Captain America sucks ass. Ultimate Captain America is the second worst Ultimate. Follow, like, he follows closer behind um, Ultimate Hawkeye. <laughs> oh, fucking Christ, Oh, God, I just... Whenever I think of Ultimate Hawkeye, I just remember him tied down to a chair, bl- like black eye blood pouring out of his mouth as he's just ripping off his fingernails and flicking them at people to kill them. You know who my favorite Ultimate is? Who that? Ultimate Reed Richards. Yes. Because he finally admits he's a supervillain. Yes, it's great. <laughs> he's the best Ultimate because he's the only one who realizes what he is and admits to it. Yeah. Oh. And I, Ultimate, hate, I hate normal Reed Richards. I like Ultimate Reed yeah. Richards. And Ultimate Sue Storm is pretty fucking dope because when when she goes to confront Reed about him being a supervillain, he she creates a force field inside his skull to try to crush his brain. It yeah, there's some good things in the Ultimates. Not much. Yeah. Yeah, it still brought us Ultimatum. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, yeah. So Yeah, like I said, like the beginning of the movie, I actually really enjoyed i liked i liked j jonah jameson just because it's jk simmons and he's amazing yeah j-, j jonah is great in this yeah uh they have continued uh the modern day interpretation of j jonah jameson which is he's alex jones mm-hmm. which not great giving more of a platform to alex jones type people but fuck it uh yeah he was great um a very interesting use of the spider sense that I wasn't expecting and very much enjoyed. Where Doctor Strange like pushes Peter's soul out of his body. Cause, so. Oh yeah, and his body just reflexively reacts. Yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. That was so cool. Oh, yeah, man. Just, just spider sense completely unattached from a consciousness, so it is just pure reflex at all times. Doctor Strange is like, what did... I also, I also like Cumberbatch's performance with that. Just like, what you, you shouldn't be able to do this. Yeah, like Cumberbatch is a, pretty much every casting choice in the MCU is fucking great. But the two best, again, this is my opinion, Cumberbatch and Holland. Okay. Like, cause and like, especially in this movie, you saw just how well they were able to play their characters while playing off each other. Yeah. Because Cumberbatch comes off as this slightly standoffish asshole, which Doctor Strange is, but is also willing to help the kid. Yeah, very much. Like, he 
like when the second Parker shows up, he's like, "Yeah, I'll give it a try." Like, like even the whole thing with like, "Hey, we saved the universe together." I think it's, I think we're past you calling me sir. Like that whole bit, I thought worked great. Yeah, and then immediately turn around. You didn't know. Yeah, no, you, 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 you fuck, stupid. you fuck this up, child. You will call me sir. Which is, it was funny. I love that. Yeah. Um, and then the part where the movie actually started, the part where the movie started falling off for me was actually the bridge attack. Really? Yes, because it is taking these classic characters from the Sam Raimi movies and removing all nuance. Mm, true. It is surface level interpretations of these characters. Like, Straight up, they have, you know, I'm something of a scientist myself. Yeah, they they reference lines, like, back to back to back to back to back. But I, I actually really liked the um bridge scene, because, well, yes, it was surface-level interpretation of the original characters, Um, but I actually kind of interpreted that as them being so wholly confused. You know? Like, they were so far removed from their own world that it's just like they were reacting on pure instinct, which, like, led them to just behaving in this raw, unadulterated method. And I can understand yeah. that to an extent, but then it kept going. Yeah. Like, if it had, like, if it had been, like, yeah, they do that, and then they get, to, and then they get like, you know, the next scene, and we are back to, like, closer to Raimi. Then I would have been like, yeah, okay, it was just like that. But no, they just they hit surface level and then never went above. I think they went above in the later scenes, like especially after um after our Peter cured Doc Ock and like they started being able to talk on a like not insane level. I mean, yeah, I don't I don't know. It just it, it never it never clicked for me. It never felt right. And I liked their interpretation of Sandman. Well, yeah, because it was just it was just Raimi saying, man. Yeah. Like, it, he felt right. He's just a guy who wants to get home. Yeah. And he felt right to me. Yeah. I'm also not 100% sure if they actually got that actor back or just paid for his likeness to use archival footage. I don't know. Like, I couldn't tell because he was, he's, he's sand basically the entire time, except for yeah, the very he end when he gets cured. A lot of the time is CG. And then when he gets cured. He doesn't look like he's aged at all, so it was either, like, really weird de-aging techniques, or they just straight-up used just B-roll from fucking Spider-Man 3. Yeah, and also, like, that ending fight. The ending fight was cool, but it was also... It was also just, like... Alright, cool. We gotta, we, gotta, we, gotta, we gotta save these people. Okay, do the equivalent of hitting a button. Woo! I don't know. The entire thing just none of it felt. Super... I like. I liked the way. I liked the fact that the only one who could actually do teamwork was modern Peter Parker. <laughs> was Holland because there's like, yeah, I've been working on teams a lot. I mean, you guys never worked with anybody else. Yeah. What's an Avengers? <laughs> yeah. What? Did she, what? There are what? What do you? What do you mean? There are other superheroes. Wait. Other people have to deal with. Man, you are so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> like I had to punch out Galactus on my world. The fucks are Galactus. Yeah. So, wait, I don't want to spoil it. So wait a minute. You've been to space. So good. It was so good. 
There were so many good scenes. Yeah, they, those those three like interacting was great. Like I will shit on the Amazing Spider-Man movies for as long as I can fucking breathe. Those movies are I like garbage. Them. I like them. Andrew Garfield played a really good Spider-Man. Didn't play a very good Peter Parker because his Peter Parker didn't have a personality. I kind of wish that um like we had gotten like a little bit of like the Spider-Man dance from the third Spider- <laughs> Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie. Like you that know was they wanted dance to. Or something. You fucking know I they wanted to. I would loved if it had been like victory dance and they just all start doing that and they'd stop and look at each other and they're like, yeah, and they keep going. <laughs> for some reason. Because that would have been that would have been the perfect ending for me. Like to like that segment before they all disappeared and left. For some reason in my head, I would it would be entirely out of character for the Toby Maguire Spider-Man. But him walking through the portal with like a set of headphones on pulls them off. It's the jazz music from the scene. Yeah, that'd be awesome. It would be out of character, but that'd be awesome. <laughs> <sighs> but yeah, it just a big old letdown. It was the worst of the Spider-Man movies so far because I, I'm I like unless I hear that they had him under a three movie deal or something. I'm going to expect at least one more because it probably made a fuck ton at the box office. Oh, fucking of course. Like, that's not even in question. Yeah. Let me let me <sighs> let me check the Internet to see if I can get exact numbers. But yeah, I like my favorite part about the Spider-Man movies was the camaraderie, the teamwork, the friendship. And they just pooped on it. Oh fuck yeah, dog! Domestically eight hundred, yeah, domestically eight hundred and one million. Internationally one point nine billion. Damn. Well, sorry, worldwide one point nine billion. Um, Damn. Internationally, just one point one billion. It's you know, crazy dog. <laughs> yeah, it's the third Spider-Man movie that they hyped up at forever as the one where the other Spiderman come back. If that movie didn't crack a billion dollars, then they did something wrong. No, they did do something wrong, but it still cracked. <laughs> they would have done something more outwardly wrong. Yeah. I man. Yeah, it sucks. I'm I'm just seeing the there it's and it's just two things that I had a problem with in this movie. You had more problems than I did, but yeah. I just had the problem with two things. Aunt May's death was pointless. Pointless. And wiping everyone's memory of him was horse shit. Because you cannot tell me that Dr. Strange couldn't have said, all right, I'm going to put a protective barrier around, you know, Staten Island or wherever the Statue of Liberty is. I can't remember. I think it's the um, Statue of Liberty Island. I don't know. Yeah. Liberty. I'm going to put a bubble over Liberty Island. It's going to protect everyone here. And then I'm going to do what you said. Wait, so they won't lose their memories. I'm not going to lose my memory either. I'm the fucking Sorcerer Supreme. I'm supposed to be the Sorcerer Supreme. I just blipped for a little while, dickhead. Give me my job back. <laughs> and if I forget you, then you're an unknown quantity that is a danger to the world. So, you know, I'm just going to put a bubble, and then I'm going to cast a spell outside the bubble. All right. I think five seconds would have fixed the entire movie. Well, would have fixed most of the movie for me, because they still killed that man. That was fucking pointless. But I, I don't know how I feel about the fact that they started retrofitting the Statue of Liberty to be a statue of Captain America. 
Yeah, that's a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, that's a little bit weird. I mean, it kind of makes sense given the literal hero worship that this uh, franchise, that the friend, the universe in this franchise has for him. Yeah, but you'd think somebody, like literally anybody, would have been like, "Hey, no," because like they were far into it. Like the shield was up there, and the majority yeah. of the statue was retrofitted with brass. Yeah. Yeah, it was weird. Like it that's yeah, really you think uh, maybe what the like hell are you guys thinking? Yeah, you think maybe like France might have had an issue with it. <laughs> uh do what do what you want with our gift. We do not care anymore. You big headed Americans. <sighs> <laughs> it's like, oh so you are re so you are Okay, cool. No, we understand. We understand. It it what it didn't look good holding a torch anymore. We understand. <laughs> Yeah, we totally understand. Um, so you might notice something about tariffs. <laughs> if France brought tariffs because we updated the Statue of Liberty, man, that is the most petty thing in the world. You think a politician wouldn't do it? <laughs> I actually don't think a politician would do it because America would just like would just respond in kind, and that would be really bad. Oh yeah, of like, course it everybody would. would get fucked. Yeah, of course it would. You think they care? All kinds of shit like that happens all the time, dude. Anyway. Yeah, but I think I think I don't think they do that. I, I feel that feels like that's just a little too stupid for most politicians. Okay, fair enough. Anyway, uh, last thing about No Way Home. Uh, yeah, the Venom. You like? Oh, are we supposed to care about Venom? I mean. Apparently, because the symbiote is in the world now. Yep. That's and probably going to be the fourth movie. That's probably going to be the fourth movie. Yeah, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be fucking Peter gets possessed by the symbiote, realizes he's changing, but can't stop it, and then is forced to go back to the people he cares about because dot, dot, because dot. they might be able to help him. I'd actually kind of like that. God damn it! <laughs> 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 okay, so if that's the way they go with it, I'll watch the movie. You've heard me, Disney. Only way to get me to watch the movie is to bring Peter back to his friends. Yes, only way... I know I don't matter. Only way to get Caveman's $10. 10 Fucking... 25 because I buy stuff at the... I buy snacks at the theater every time. That money doesn't go to the... That money doesn't go to the studio. Oh, Disney was told is totally negotiating to get a cut of... Uh, concessions for every ticket sale they're trying to theaters are telling them fuck off like theaters surprisingly have realized they have a modicum of power i'll watch it on disney plus <laughs> <laughs> there we go that's the 25 dollars they're getting <laughs> I, I do pay for that yeah not even the subscription oh. fee. I'm just talking about the rental fee because they will 1,000% charge you on top of your subscription to get to watch that movie. Oh, no. I'm just going to wait until it's on regular streaming. <laughs> like, I, I I regret having gone seen Death in the Nile on, in theaters because it literally just popped up on streaming. <laughs> and I'm so mad that we spent the money on that because if I had just waited. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I really hope that, like, the very quick to streaming release continues, like, like keeps going forward because 
getting to see new movies relatively soon after their release as, as opposed to earlier in like as opposed to like earlier before this shit happened it's great also before the world went yeah also just having some movies just that are released straight to streaming that would have been released to theaters A lot of horror movies are actually winding up straight on streaming right now, which is yeah. actually really good for horror movie fans like me. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so anyway, uh, keeping on the Marvel train, I guess, uh, Moon Knight came out. Was it good? Yes, it was. Yeah, uh, my only real complaint, it's not even a complaint, it's just a thing that kind of bugged me, is their insane overuse at least feeling to me of the split personality imagery how so like steven like steven grant uh you know the the weak personality of moon knight mm-hmm. uh wakes up in bed and then we get like a shot of him reflected in a mirror where we see three hymns reflected or like or like multiple infinite mirror effects or like him in the him in the museum that he works at, running away from a monster or something, and then his face overlaps with a like bust, like like an ancient bust that has like a half of the face cut knocked off. It just kept Man, popping. I really it, want to watch this movie now because I love all of that kind of imagery. It is a six episode series. Well, I got to get through um the other series first in the movies. I got to get through uh, Wandavision and whatever movies come after it because I've already watched um. Loki and uh, the Falcon and the Witch Soldier. So, yeah, I will say for me, at least of the like first episode impressions of all three of these series, like of, well, sorry, four, I guess of Loki, of uh, WandaVision and of Falcon Winter Soldier, I'd say Moon Knight for me probably ranks second. Hmm. Like right behind WandaVision because I fucking love the beginning of WandaVision. Okay. Uh, Loki was fine. Like Loki was good, but I was like, I'm not that big into Loki as a character. I love Loki as a character, so I, the, I enjoyed that. The show made me like Loki more. Uh, then Falcon of the Winter Soldier, like I enjoyed the premiere, but it was the entire thing was pretty mid. Also, that's probably what. My my thoughts on Falcon of the Winter Soldier, like three episodes in, was probably one of my worst takes given the site so far. Largely because I kind of forgot about Black Panther when I talked about it. But anyway. Moon Knight. For those who don't know, Moon Knight is a longtime character from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He is from the Marvel Universe. Uh, a lot of people say that he's Marvel's answer to Batman, uh, which is not the case to, case at all. Like he's kind of the exact opposite of Batman. He is not Marvel's answer to Batman at all. Yeah, no, Marvel's answer to Batman is Captain America. Kinda. Like those were the two that paired up in JLA versus Avengers. Yeah, I suppose that's the case then. Yeah, but uh, Moon Knight is very much the antithesis of Batman in a lot of in a lot of expand in a lot of like ways. So Moon Knight is a character with a long history of uh, mental health issues, specifically with uh, dissociative identity disorder, which it has, which depending on the series you're reading is either a legit 
thing that he had before getting before becoming Moon Knight, or a thing brought on by his association with the Moon God Khonshu and his abilities as the champion of Khonshu. See, there's actually something that I, like isn't niggling at the back of my head, but I can't remember. Were there times where it was like questionable whether or not Moon Knight actually had a connection to a god? Yes. Okay. Because I was like, yeah, isn't it sometimes that it's like, yeah, he doesn't actually have any powers. He's just like Batman. And other times, like, no, he totally fucking has a connection to the gods. Yeah, no, he has powers. It's I think it's been, it has since been established fully that he does for realsies have powers connected to Khonshu. Uh, and specifically, like, some level of superhuman strength, some level of healing. And those powers, like, wane, wax and wane, depending on who's writing, basically. The phases of the moon, you mean? That is one reason for it, yes. And I'm not even joking. Uh, but yeah, so Oscar Isaac stars in this as Stephen Grant, who is one aspect of Moon Knight's personality. Within the show, at least, what we have been given in terms of his personalities are, or at least the voices in his head, are Stephen Grant, Mark Spector, and Khonshu. Khonshu, voiced by F. Murray Abraham. And, like, most commonly he has three identities that he'll switch between. Like, that's the most common number of identities. Uh, Yes. Uh, recently, it has been upgraded to four. Ah, okay. See, yeah. this is what I get for not reading comics. Yeah, typically, uh, the typically like his personalities are Moon Knight, like Moon Knight, Mark Spector, um, Stephen Grant, Jake Lockley, and then more recently, Mister Knight, which is the him in the suit. I don't mean I don't mean like the uh, the super suit. I mean like the all pure white dress suit. That looks fucking fly as hell. He's a little gentleman. He is a crime scene consultant. And he's great. He might be my favorite. (laughs) Oh, no, sorry. My favorite version of Moon Knight is the one from the memes. (laughs) You mean the, hey, Spider-Man, give me my money. No, it's it's Dracula, you fucking nerd. Get out here and get my money. And Spider-Man, it's me, the Silver Surfer. Give me your wallet and all of your ketamine. That's right. To which Spider-Man replies, no, I know it's you, Moon Knight. I'm not falling for that again. (laughs) Oh, I love that joke. I love that joke. That is my favorite version of Moon Knight. (laughs) But again, this this is great. The best uh, part about Moon Knight is both of those lines are completely believable to have come out of his mouth. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so uh, this beginning, this this, uh, beginning episode is about Steven discovering the other personalities inside his head and also learning about the bigger threat that's going on because the threat that is happening is um, Ethan Hawke is a is currently serving as a messenger of the crocodile god um I think Unsee or something the one that eats the heart mm, you keep talking I'll quickly look it up yeah so uh he is He's like starting this cult around the world of of like he will just like go uh, the heart eater is Sobek. The crocodile? Yep. Sobek okay. Is the god of uh, is the Egyptian god of strength, crocodile god of strength and pharaonic power. Okay, this one is Amit. Amit. 
Oh, uh, that might be the Heart Eater. I might be, uh... Yeah, it's, uh, got the hindquarters of a lion, the, sorry, the forequarters yeah, of a no, that, lion. Yeah, that's the Heart Eater. Two different, like, Ahmed is the Devourer of the Dead. Yeah. Yeah, so basically... has a head of a crocodile, but isn't a crocodile. Yeah, so basically, um, he is trying to... He, he is trying to, like, bring about some kind of end of the world because Amit is like, hey, I'm judging people. I can judge them before they fucking actually die. I know everything they will do and have done. So let me just fucking judge them now and then eat their hearts and then we'll fucking move on. As you do. Yeah. Standard Tuesday uh, stuff. Yeah. And it is... It's it's a lot of fun. Uh, this first episode, like Oscar Isaac, does a really great job playing a weedly British piece of shit. <laughs> like Stephen is so fucking pathetic, and it plays great. He is he is so wildly different from like personality to personality. Like they he does a fantastic job of like embodying these guys as different characters. It's it's. One of the this series is kind of like you know an orphan black or something where it's just a like series that can show off someone's acting range. And I think this does a really great job with that. Um, See, that just makes me think of uh, of Common Rider Deno, where <laughs> our main character has like five personalities. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's yeah, it's one of those things of just. You get someone with multiple personalities and give them a show, then you or so you give someone a show with, uh, with a character with multiple multiple personalities, and that will and that will be able and that will just like fucking show you how good of an actor they are. I think it does a really great job. Um, also, they do a the suit, the fucking suit. Like, I'm pretty sure the cape is CG, but like the suit itself is at least mostly practical. And one of the cool things they do with it is they put lights behind his fucking eyes so his eyes glow white. Cool. Yeah, it looks great. Um, we we only saw like a brief snippet of him at the very end of the episode as Moon Knight proper. Uh, but we also got to see... Uh, we also got to see a little bit of Khonshu. And Khonshu in this is... A lot different than how I remember him being portrayed in other versions of the character that I've read. Uh, for example, uh, he calls Steven a dick. <laughs> That's great. So it's That's just great, F. Murray right? Abraham's like incredibly commanding voice with like layers of like effects on it and stuff to make it sound like even more intimidating. They're just going, oh, great. The parasite's here. Just get the fuck out of here and let the, let the competent one take over. Just negging him the entire time, just calling him a piece of shit, saying, get the fuck out of here, let the person who knows what they're doing come back. That that sucks. I feel bad for Steven. <laughs> yeah, Steven's life is shit. The beginning of the show is him, like, literally, like, waking up his apartment, remembering where he was, and then unlocking the restraint he has on him when walking out of the circle of sand he keeps around his bed to keep from sleepwalking. He has, his only friend is a fish with one fin. Oh, poor thing. And apparently for a while now, uh, Mark has been coming out to like uh, take over as to take over as like the main person driving the body because he gets he gets uh, like Stephen a date with this 
with a woman from his from the uh, museum he works at, where he is just shitted on the entire time because he works at because he works at the gift shop. No, no, it's great. Um, Ethan Hawke's performance is also pretty great. Uh, I like him as he plays like a kind of standard cult leader, but he does it very well. And a, little, and a small thing that I actually really like that I excuse me, fuck, just got a burp stuck. But no, like uh, he, the sh- the show opens with him shattering a glass of water and then putting the glass into his sandals, because you know religious cult leader. They got to do some kind of self-flagellation. Mm-hmm. And was actually a little bit impressive to me, at least, or at least some, some a, a detail that I didn't expect them to like carry over is pretty much every time he steps, you can hear the you can hear the very faint sound of glass crunching. So they must have had some kind of simulant in there. To, well, no, you know, it's just it's, it. it's ADR. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just Foley work. They just, they just like go back in the footage. All right, his foot hits here, 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 and there's just a dude with a fucking just like bunch of glass under a rag and just going <laughs> in time with the steps. Because no fucking way in hell would they put anything even resembling glass in an actor's shoes. I would. Yeah, cool. yeah. That's why he would have been a good filmmaker in the seventies. <laughs> but yeah, Moon Knight. It looks like a lot of looks like it's going to be a lot of fun going forward. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Moon Knight like in full action. Uh, all we got of him so far was dragging a demonic jackal creature who was clawing at the floor, kicking and screaming, trying to get away before just beating the piss out of him. Which it, that's great. Moon Knight dresses in white so that the people he's chasing will know when he's coming and will see the blood of his friend, uh, see the blood of their friends on him. Yeah, Moon Knight is scary. <laughs> Moon Knight has eight different types of throwing weapons, and all of them are basically knives. All of them are bladed. <laughs> just, just random bullshit. Go. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so last thing that you won't care about. Which is why I saved it for last. I uh, finally got around to watching at least some of The Legend of Vox Machina. For those unaware, The Legend of Vox Machina. Yes, the Legend of Vox Machina is an animated series on Amazon Prime that is written by, starring, and based on the first campaign and the voice actors with therein of the DD show Critical Role. Oh, that's why I don't care. Yeah. Uh, Critical Role is the biggest D&D actual play show on the internet. Like, just no question. If you want an alternative, come on, check out Cursed Destiny. Uh, yeah. We, we do things. Yeah, we have our own. Uh, Die, available now on the site. Uh, and wherever podcasts are available. Uh, but yeah, so... The first campaign of Critical Role was surrounding Vox Machina. This group of adventurers made up of... Keyleth, a half-elf druid, uh, Vex, Vex and Vax, a twin half-elves. Um, Vex is a ranger with a bear companion, and Vax is a rogue. Um, Scanlan, a gnome bard. Uh, Pike, a gnome cleric. Uh, Grog, a goliath barbarian. And Percy, a man with a gun. The best character. Uh, th- there was also another character 
involved in this campaign, but he has since been completely scrubbed from the Critical Role history because the voice actor who played him was a bit of a shitter. Okay. Yeah, so he played a character, uh, the, guy was, the guy's name was Orion Akaba. He played a character called um, called Tiberius Stormwind, who was a, who was a dragonborn um, sorcerer. But then within the show itself, he w- he had a bit of main character syndrome. Blah, blah, blah. He like he like fudge dice rolls all the time, all that shit. And oh, then that's fun. and then he left the show after his agreement with with the rest of the cast. Tried to start a like tried to start like his own little thing. Uh, ended up running a couple of weird uh, schemes where he ended up just like taking a bunch of money from like people he worked people who worked with him, and just turned out to be a bit of a shit. So his character has largely been scrubbed entirely from uh, Critical Role. Like his character and also him. Uh, And so this series tells a part of their campaign one. Because it's kind of weird. It basically... They have like two episodes that are about the campaign before they started broadcasting it, and then the second, um, and then like and like the rest of the story is about a storyline that happened like in the middle of them broadcasting it, ignoring the first like fifty or sixty episodes. So a little bit weird. Uh, but I was not anticipating this show. Like I did not back it on Kickstarter. I was I wasn't one of the people who was like sitting there going like, oh boy, I can't wait to watch all the episodes with the drop of fucking Amazon Prime. Like I am a big proponent of D and D is at its best when it's D and D, which is to say, a bunch of people ad libbing and rolling dice and shit. Um, actually, the Critical Role comic book is actually a great example of. What I think is the problem with adapting a lot of like D and D stuff, in that the comic book it removes almost all of the characters' unique voice that was brought by these voice actors and by their personalities, and it also made them way too competent. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, incompetence—the number one rule of D and D at the table. Yeah, and gross incompetence. Gross incompetence, and. The show actually brings a lot of that back. Like it helps having the voice actors be there because like everyone from the everyone from the cast is playing their characters and they are also all good voice actors. So they so they were able to inject the personality that was missing from the comic and the writing team which included all the voice actors and stuff, they all get that their characters are fuck-ups. Like a running joke in the first campaign was the fact that this legendary group of fucking heroes, nearing level 20, fucking golden gods on Earth, cannot get through a locked door to save their life. (laughs) Seriously? Yes, they have... The amount of times they have been hindered by a locked door is baffling. With all of their abilities, throughout all their levels, from like level 9 when we get started with the campaign, to level 20 when they finish. They just can't open fucking doors. Oh, that's that's hilarious. And that carries into the and show. Very true for D and D games. Yeah, and that carries. I, I remember having like a super strong character once, like 
like this is in three five. I had like a thirty strength, and I was like, I'm just gonna break the door off of its hinges. All right, give me a strength check. I got a one. <laughs> you pull a muscle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's because that's that's the beauty of D and D is that you can be the best in the world at something and still catastrophically fail. Yeah, it's great, and the show actually embraces that a lot. It it embraces these characters. Being very powerful, being very good, but also just fucking up royally all the time. And it works. It works a lot. It plays into the strengths of these characters and their dynamic. Uh, like, like, the, like, literally, the beginning of the show, like, the title card pops up over all of them, near blackout drunk, getting into a fucking bar fight. Like, the fight starts with, uh, like, some fucking, some fucking, like, dog person comes over and starts like talking a whole gang of trash at uh at vax one of the, the half elf rogue and vax historically incredibly bisexual and in this Thank scene you. and in this scene he is incredibly drunk so he just starts playing oh. so he just starts playing into hey yeah we gonna fuck and then the, the dog man is immediately like what no i fuck you he's like yeah you want it and then just and then just the fucking barbarian goes in, cuts off his hand, and just goes bar fight. <laughs> oh, I love D anD D so much. The druid, when she goes to cast her first spell in combat, just instead barfs in another guy's mouth. <laughs> uh, this is this is prime D anD D. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, and- the main reason I don't watch any actual plays is because I'm like, I want to be playing, not listening. Yeah, and that's fair. Uh, yeah, I have watched all of Critical Role, like campaign one to campaign three. Uh, and so yeah, I am a fan. I refuse to be categorized as a critter. <laughs> uh, just I, I fucking hate fan bases that have names. You mean you wouldn't want to be a brown coat? <laughs> what about a Hoovian? Mm. <laughs> yeah, like this show, it's it kind of is weird that Amazon has become this place for like adult-oriented animation. Because like with this and Invincible, like both both these were like done by different studios, but they looked very similar in terms of like characters and the way the characters like shaped and stuff they felt like totally they felt wildly different because one's you know a riff on modern superhero stuff and the other one is a riff on classic fantasy but like both of them both of them worked pretty well in terms of, like getting this adult oriented style across and it just shows what I, I fucking love animation and I, and I love that we are getting more mature I don't want to say mature because it's a bunch of dick and fart jokes. But more adult-oriented animation. Because you could do so much more violence with adult-oriented animation. Like, they they have some... Violence! Like, they have some fucked-up shit happen to these people. Like, they are, like, fucking... They're, like, bashing heads into each other until both heads are paced. They are, like, ricocheting bullets off of, like, mirrors in order... Ricocheting bullets off of, like, you know, dec- decorative shields in order to have that bullet rip a dude's jaw off. 
it's a lot of really cool shit that all has to be very careful in order to not actually name itself any of the D&D things they're doing. Because this isn't actually a D&D show. Wizards of the Coast is not involved affiliated. in this. Affiliated. Uh Another very another very fun funny thing they do at least for me. Um, they set up a they set up a like safe word in case things go horribly awry, uh, and they set it up as Chenga because in the actual stream their go to word was Jenga, but they can't use Jenga because that's a fucking brand name. But yeah, uh, so the. Yes, like I said, this first uh, season does like two episodes about stuff that happened before the game began. And then basically the rest of it is about the Briarwood arc. And the Briarwood arc is a very big event within the world of. Yeah, within the world of uh, Critical Role. It is all about the uh, backstory of Percival, the gunslinger. Uh, yeah, the, so the Briarwood arc starts around episode 24 of the first campaign. Uh, and then kind of spreads out from there. And that's where we learn the tragic backstory, because all of them have tragic backstory. Ooh, such good writing. Well, actually, the, like I think kind of the interesting thing with uh, this character is when, when so the actor Talson Jaffe, when he built him, he didn't write the entirety of his backstory. Okay. What he did was he wrote what his character would know and then gave the rest to Matt Mercer and just said, hey, go nuts. Oh, no. That's brilliant. Yeah. Like, Wait, uh, I did that. Yeah. Why am I Why am I sitting here praising? No, that's not. Yeah, well, that's where I got the idea. I wrote an amnesiac character and then just was like, go nuts to, uh, to James, uh, one of our friends when he was DMing. Yeah, that's what and I did. And he went nuts. That's what I did in Curse Destiny. Yeah, kinda, yeah. What do you mean kinda? Well, I'm still I still like unlike unlike James, I ask permission for everything before I really do anything. But yeah, so uh yeah, like he basically wrote that like his family was royalty in this one small town. And then and then fucking the Briarwoods rolled in, murdered everyone, shot down his sister as they were running away, and then and then Percy just kind of went off on his own, and then one night had a dream about a gun, and then invented guns. <laughs> And thus Matt Mercer made the gunslinger homebrew and everybody fell in love with him. Well, actually, he kind of poured it over from uh, Pathfinder. Made the gunslinger <laughs> homebrew. But no, yeah, and so that, like, kind of... That led to, like, you know, the revelation of, oh, hey, these two are... I guess, well, I guess, spoilers if you're not having watched it, I guess. Hey, the Briarwoods... This, the the guy Briarwood is a vampire and the lady Briarwood is a fucking necromancer and both of them are fucking working for Vecna trying to trying to ascend him into godhood also your sister's alive also the reason you made guns is because a demon who makes guns attached himself to your soul and is like hey make guns and go murder for me yes. <laughs> yeah at least a all bu- whole bunch of shit that I very much love from the campaign, and yeah, it, yeah, it looks like going the season ends 
from what I understand, I haven't got to the end yet, but from what I understand, it ends with the beginning of the Chroma Conclave arc, which is them hunting all flavors of dragon. Because, yeah, it's Dungeons and Dragons. It's D&D. But yeah, like, the show is a lot more fun and a better interpretation of the campaign than I thought it would be. And for people who, like, want that story, want these characters, but don't necessarily have the... Don't necessarily have the 500 hours to watch the first campaign. Then this is a great alternative for them. It's very well done, very well animated, very well directed and acted and stuff. It's just not the best way to experience the story because the best way to experience a D&D story is through D&D. Is by playing. Like not not like not even necessarily by playing, like 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 with this story in particular. I mean with this story, this character, these actors, these players watch their thing. But D and D in and of or itself. Find a DM who just stole the story. <laughs> no, you you know. I, I actually I actually have a friend who's like I don't play video games. I just suggest video games to my friends and then wait for them to run D and D games based on them. <laughs> Obviously, is a joke because he plays a lot of video games. But like that's how he. I'd say it's like this is my preferred way of playing video games. I suggest them to friends and then wait for them to steal them for D and D. Yeah. And I was like, stop talking about how I make up my stories. <laughs> I'm literally running a Final Fantasy inspired game for him right now. Tight. <sighs> but yeah, I I surprisingly liked Legend of Vox Machina and would recommend it. But I still feel like I I'm still just in the in the mind of if you're going to make a D and D movie, just make it D and D. Like, like, not oh, even, like, not D&D even, movies. like, not even, like, you are, you, like, not, I don't, I don't even mean, like, you are using, like, the Wizards of the Coast specific system or module or some shit. Just, if you're going to make a movie of a D&D campaign, just make the movie them playing the D&D campaign. I don't know why, but, like, in my head, well, I guess I know why. In my head, the perfect D&D movie is, you get the actors... And they just play D and D. I would actually kind of love a D of a D and D movie where, like, like they like you could see the table and yeah. like a D twenty would like like especially if they got meta and had the D twenty actually affect the battlefield. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, like you roll the D twenty, knock over a bunch of minis, and it just scattered a group of uh, minions. They're like, the gods have been angered by you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just I don't find. D&D canon interesting at all because it, it's just a lot of it is just the boring fantasy stories which I'm not the biggest fan of just generic fantasy anyway the reason why I like D&D fantasy is because it adds the fucking nightmare chaos goblins that are people <laughs> we make things chaotic and interesting like again just Check out any actual play show, like say Curse Destiny, available now wherever Dustor Prof podcasts are available. <sighs> All right, that is our second official yeah. plug. We just get, need to get one more in, and then we've hit our quota for the week. Or if you don't want to check out that, you know, Critical Role, Nad Pod, fucking 
uh, Dimension 20. All of those shows are like, hey, we are setting up this like big fucking story. And then one of the players goes, and one of the players just goes, I throw a rock at it. I don't it. feel like climbing a tower today. Oh, no, like like a player will go like, hey, I have a dance ribbon. Can I use this to fly? <laughs> Roll for it. <laughs> it's a fun thing. They did. Oh, no. Their dexterity was three. Oh, no. Not a plus three, a three. Oh, no. They managed to get a 14. <laughs> okay. To which the, to which the DM asked, hey, do you think a 14 is enough for me to allow you to use a dance ribbon to fly. <laughs> the right answer is yes. <laughs> uh, no, the right answer is they fell 10 stories. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, no, no. You answer the DM. Yes. And then the DM's like, you fall 10 stories. <laughs> That's how it goes. That's how it goes. Yeah. Like, you like answer. Yes. And then you suffer the consequences yeah. for reference. This is from, Dimension 20 Fantasy High Live, the second season live they did of one of the their first Dimension 20 season. Yeah. Kristen Applebee's, the cleric, is like, hey, I need to get down to the first floor before this invisible wizard. So can I like like what they want like what the what the player, uh, Allie Beard's like, what they wanted to do was they wanted I believe what they were trying to say was they wanted to like Indiana Jones grapple and whip down like the balconies. As you do. But they said it in, I have a dance ribbon. Can I use this to fly? So then DM was like, okay, cool. Roll an acrobatics check. With a negative four. They got a 14. It's like, all right, cool. So, hey, hey, Allie. I'm going to need you to hit a DC 15 or this goes poorly. Just basically a second deck, just basically a second acrobatics check to see if they can like save themselves. This is a good idea. No, it's not. Yeah, immediately fell. And favorite line for that entire season is like, it's like, hey, Allie, good news. You get to the you get to the first floor way before the other guy. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I know that you're I know I know that you weren't a fan of like the setup of Fantasy High, but it's a solid fucking show. Uh, it's just like it's not. really. Yeah, like I know. My, my I know. Style, I know. So. Like like fantasy John Hughes is not your bag. Which is the description they give of the of that season. But yeah. If you folks want to check out stuff like this, like I said, available our stuff is, and also you can check out our own show. But yeah, and uh, last thing I want to talk about in terms, last thing I want to talk about kind of in the same vein. This isn't a TV show or a movie or anything. It's a, D, it's a, it's a tabletop live play show, but I don't have anyone else to talk about it, and this is my fucking show, so fuck all of you. Colock is back, baby. And I'm fucking excited. For those that don't know, Colock, um, originally produced by Hyper RPG, uh, the kind of a a company created by the guy who basically made Critical Role as we understand it. Uh, he was the produ- like Zach Eubanks, he was the producer on Critical Role when it initially started and kind of set the template for how the how their broadcast looks and how a lot of other D&D broadcasts look. And then he went on and made Colock, which is using the kids on bike system and is a We still need to do a kids on bike session. Yeah, and it is a horror mystery show 
built around a similar aesthetic to Twin Peaks. Oh, that sounds fun. I might see that's something I might listen to because that's not D and D. So I'm not going to get like, oh, I want to be playing. That sounds interesting. Yeah, and so from the beginning, they had been trying to do something different, where they introduced a lot of like live effect filters, where where like a where like if he was playing like one of the character one of the recurring characters in the first season is a talking squirrel, and and how they play the squirrel's voice is they pitch the DM's voice up a fucking ton. So it's just like this high pitched squeaky kind of thing, but not like chipmunk squeaky. So it is just a, so just like this very computerized synthesized voice, just saying the most random bullshit. And it's great. And there's another character where they are talking to like this eldritch entity that lives inside them. And it is a filter giving the DM a third eye in the center of his forehead and then giving him two more heads. Oh, that's trippy. I like yeah. that. And then get to the second season and they rebuild the entire set and actually have like cl- hidden clues and like Easter eggs and stuff in the background of the set. And then also have the main cat. also have the cast of characters interact with a real physical corpse. Where is this available? Uh, YouTube. Awesome. I know what I'm listening to after this. Yeah. And so getting into season three, season three of Colock is kind of their most ambitious to date. Because they have revamped the entirety of their set, um, and it now it now uh, utilizes this massive LCD wall behind them, as well as Unreal Engine generated backgrounds that use HTC Vive motion tracking. Holy sh- Nikes! It's ludicrous. That sounds like the D and D setup I dream about, and it's also fucking great because. Uh, so, like, end of season two, some shit happened that we don't really know about. And then the show basically went on hiatus for, like, three years because, you know, COVID happened. And it also apparently it also apparently cost, like, $500,000 to produce a season of Colock. Damn. Yeah, they put in fucking work. These dudes are pushing the genre in terms of actual play shows. And now this, now this like, whole new thing is, like, 30 years after the end of season two. And it's split into two separate stories, basically, that are, like, about to be converging, where it is, where it is the Ascended, which is a group of, which is a group of, like, people who were the last people ever born on the planet Earth. Basically, something happened in November, in November 1991, that just stopped people having kids. And then. We can't make a joke about it being me, uh, me, uh, it being me being born. Because I was born before that. Yeah. And then they have the Legacy cast, which is the, like, three to four remaining cast members, because the, a lot of characters die. Be like, these three to four remaining cast members, as they, like, jump back and forth in between 1991 and 2021, and there's, like, different points at their life. The show is, from what I understand, it is all, like, it is all, like, a improvised on the spot but they do have like relatively detailed setups of where they're going to be going where it's like all right so we're gonna be going in you it's this date you're doing this you're going here for this reason this this that and then it's just kind of them playing out and one of the players is the dm's brother and he keeps making the dm break just because he Uh. just, just because he's a fucking dumbass he is the chaos goblin i talked about earlier 
Every table needs one. Because there's another cool thing. There's another fucking cool thing about Kolok is that the DM is a character. And I don't mean a DMPC. I mean the DM. The concept of a DM is a character. Interesting. Yeah, he's called the driver. He starts out he starts at everything like he basically goes through the entire show doing this like very monologue like like monotone delivery, not really talking, not really getting emotional, not really getting super invested. His thing is his thing is just he is there to take uh, to take the players where they want to go. Like he just sits behind the wheel while the like I, I just to misquote something he said he says it sometimes at the beginning of the things. He is the driver. He is there to take you where you want to go while the players are there to pick the radio stations, say they have to pee, and then pull off and, and then choose the nearest disgusting bathroom parking lot to pull off and piss in. Are you spell Kolok? K-O-L-L-O-K. Yeah, the first two seasons are up on Hyper RPG's channel, and the third season, which is currently airing live Mondays on Mondays on Fear HQ on Twitch, is also being uploaded is also being uploaded to the Fear HQ YouTube channel. I goddamn love Kolok. That is my com- that is my unpaid commercial for Kolok. If you want to pay us to do some advertisement, you can't. <laughs> He's going to keep doing it for free. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> I just, I really love Kolok, and they are doing so much interesting shit. Like, fuck, dude. In, like, the second last most recent episode, they got rid of the table entirely, and it was just the players standing in front of this, like, ma- standing in front of, like, their massive fucking screen with entirely monochrome set except for red highlights on the players jackets which this wasn't a pre-record this was all done live so like they did like a color specific monochrome then then like also set up the motion tracking on the camera itself it was one camera on like a steady cam just kind of like followed them around and the dm walked in and out of frame switching costumes as he went in and out of frame that's that's as someone who's been who's been on the stage on and off for years, it's really not easy to do full costume changes that quickly. Yeah, to be fi- to be like to, in terms of like to be fair to like how he's doing it, the switch was taking off a sports jacket and putting on a hat. Mm, okay, that's a bit that's easier. Yeah, but it's, it's still not easy to completely. Yeah, it's still change not fucking characters easy. Characters like that, it is not easy to completely change up characters like that. Yeah, and he kept uh, doing it, and then they also like brought in a returning character who I was fucking excited to see. Like, and ha! I just I have to say this to give you an example of how hard it is, especially if he's only changing out a hat or something. Okay, which character is it? He's wearing the hat and the jacket now. <laughs> I once had to do a show where I was playing three separate characters. And, like, I had to, like, it was full costume changes, like, and some of them were quick. And one time, I walked out as my old man character, supposed to be playing my gay middle-aged character. (laughs) And, like, I've got the old man beard on, and I've got the gay guy's jacket on. I walk out, freeze for a half beat as they turn to greet me. It's like, "I, I accidentally borrowed his jacket. Can you see to it that he gets that back? Hand the jacket over, put her off stage, quickly like take off my old man gear and come out. It's like, oh, fabulous. He returned my jacket. And then we just moved on like nothing happened. (laughs) Because it is hard. 
It yeah. is so difficult. Yeah. Oh, and like, man. And, like, that episode was, like, half their le- usual length. Because, of course, it fucking was. Yeah, no, fuck that. But fuck no, it, that. It was great. I, I really love Kolok. I love, like, the Legacy cast. They have been kicking it forever. It is, it is like, a bunch of... It's a couple of people that, like, you see before, um... Or like, like specifically with the legacy cast, it is a uh, Bria Iyengar is kind of like one of the main things that people might know. Uh, she was on Dimension Twenty. She was on fucking Critical Role as the as the guest DM. She has been all over the internet doing the D and D stuff. Uh, she's great. Uh, but then they, brought, they also brought in a bunch of like new people for the Ascended cast, and they're all fucking rocking it. <sighs> I also brought in Beeb Dave Walter, who he's fucking amazing. Uh, he is a he is again like a D and D personality. Uh, you may have seen him recently on G four. I think he does some stuff with G four. Uh, he did uh, L A by Night, the uh, Vampire the Masquerade official like uh, like actual play show. I love Vampire the Masquerade. Yeah, and he also uh, apparently did a, a level twenty like campaign where it was just hey your character's level twenty go, and. I have not been able to find any archive of it, and I'm fucking pissed. I think that's what I want to do for my birthday. I think I want to have someone run me a level 20 campaign. Like, oh, like a one-shot level 20, go fight a god kind of deal. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, go uh, fight the Tarask. Yeah. His level 20 campaign was... the most yeah. broken-ass build. Yeah. His level 20 campaign was about a group of, like, regular people who all of a sudden, all of a sudden become gods. No. That's actually a really interesting option. Right? It's cool. <sighs> but I'm yeah. gonna steal that. <laughs> but yeah, uh, that is all I've been watching, and some unsolicited promo- promotional material for Kolok. Hey Hyper, hit me up. I will. I will receive an email and then politely decline because I am too shitty to do anything for you. And then tell uh, tell me about it and be like, you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, cave. All right, let's start off with Power Rangers Dino Fury. I know, dinosaurs a fucking gen. It's actually yeah. really good. Again. It's actually really good. Uh, I'm most of the way through season one, and I'm loving it. I, I'm really enjoying all the characters. Uh, green is a lot of fun, and it's really great to see some representation in Power Rangers. Like Representation for what? Uh, homosexuality. Ah, okay. Green's gay. Tight. And like like the episode that they discussed, and I'm I'm sitting there like, oh, Green's gay. And the brother's like, my sister's totally into this dude. And I'm like, Green's gay. <laughs> and then at the end, it's like at the end of the episode, I'm like, I'm gay. Oh it's just like and nobody's upset about it. It's just like, okay. Like, was it a realization like, or was it him like I or like was it him like, oh fuck, I think Green I'm gay. Green's been trying to go out on a date with a girl. And her brother was like, oh, let me set you up on a date with this dude. And it's like, at the end of the episode, it's like, no, I'm not into dudes. I'm into her. And that was, that was, the, that was it. it was like, everybody else was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> Which is, I, I, I enjoyed that. I Wait enjoyed how, like, blase they treated her homosexuality. Oh, Green's, Green's female. Yeah. Okay, sorry. I you were you were confused. Yeah, for some reason I was I, vague and you like, were confused. Yeah, like uh, I I know the two like I I think I kind of fell off watching Dino Fury for you know 
reasons. It just kind of, I just kind of fell off as I do sometimes. Um, it, I got to the point where they had just introduced those two as characters, and for some reason, I thought her brother was the guy, was the Green Ranger. Her brother is the guy. No, I mean the brother was the Green Ranger. I, I know. I'm just a dick. Yeah. We know this to be fact. <laughs> oh, um, so far my favorite character is, um, I think he's our Blue Ranger. Uh, but I'm, I'm I kind of like see like budding romance between the Blue Ranger and the Pink Ranger. Um, because he, he's constantly teasing her and that might just be friends and might be me reading too much into it. But I also really like our red because it's our first really an alien ranger because, uh, oh God, what was it called? I feel so stupid now because it was one of my favorite seasons in space. Yeah. In space. Like he was a human. He was just a human with psychic powers and lost galaxy. She was a human. Yeah, just they, with the ability to speak to machines. This guy has fucking horns. He's and an antennae, alien. He's please. What? He has antennae. Sorry, antennae. He's he's the first real alien ranger that we had. He other is the, than the alien rangers, but he, they were just humans who could breathe underwater. Well, no, they had fucking weird heads. Yeah, that's true. They did have weird heads. Okay, so yeah, just, they weren't just for reference. Yeah, just for reference. When we say real aliens, we mean like Star Trek original series real aliens where they just slap some bullshit on a person. And I I love our um oh god what's her name, I love our alpha of the season like because Solon she's kind of an alpha what Solon, yeah Solon, um she's great she's so much fun, <laughs> um she has my favorite line so far. Uh, they get an alien recording, and she's like, I don't know that language, and I know, like, 5,000 languages. Like, it's rare for me to not know one. <laughs> like, it, And she's like, some other, some alien language, and French. French is hard. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm like, why am I laughing at this? And it, it tickled me. It just tickled me so much. I love that joke. Um, yeah. Uh... I don't really have much else to say about it. Um, well, we could say, I guess, like I like the Zords. I guess, it, we could, I guess we could say like setup because we didn't actually say any that. Oh, sorry. So our heroes go to like our our Pink Ranger and our Blue Ranger are both in like cursed woods for reasons. Uh, Pink believes in ghosts, and like the team makes fun of her for it, even though they're fighting alien monsters. And this is a world that acknowledges that the Power Rangers have been a thing. Yeah, it's a whole... It's, so, I, I it's the I whole don't, monsters don't exist thing from Lightspeed Rescue. Yeah, just, just hey, we are we are using magic... We're using fucking, like, mystic force powers in order to turn into fucking armored knights to go off and fight ever-encroaching in, ever alien threats that spawn from these fucking eggs. But ghosts is a bridge too far. Yeah, it's it's annoying. Uh though she's annoying with how she um God, my brain. <laughs> uh she's she's annoying with how everything is ghosts. She it's it's not like, "Oh, I'm introduced interested in all of the supernatural." Nope, just ghosts. Singular singular focus on ghosts. So it's not a Martin mystery ghosts. kind of thing. Ghosts all the time. Like anytime something weird is going on, she's like, "It might be ghosts." And I'm just like, no, 
It's never ghosts. Because they're never going to give you that. It's never ghosts. But also, in this situation, why would it make sense for it to be ghosts? Yeah. Um, But uh, so they're out there at Dino Hinge, which is a bunch of dinosaur statues. Uh, Get attacked by aliens. Go into the underground. Awaken the Red Ranger, who's been in uh, who's been in stasis for sixty five million years or something like that. Yep. Um. They then like and then like they fight they fight monsters like yeah uh, our uh, main monster is really interesting because he actually has no interest in fighting the Rangers yeah he he, just wants to find these things called sporex which is the like monster eggs yeah and also find those and use them to power a mysterious machine yeah and also kind of cool thing. Uh, he steals the Rangers' foot soldiers. Yeah, yeah, that's where he, he, he like the Rangers have robots in their base, and he's like, "I'm gonna take these." Yeah, he, yeah, the, the Rangers <laughs> have these there's foot soldiers. There's grunts. Yeah, the Rangers have these called henchmen, which are just like night themed, like you know, like night themed robots, and they're controlled by this fucking key, uh, because everything within this season of Power Rangers is controlled by keys. Mm-hmm. And so Solon is like, "Hey Zato, here's the fucking key for the." He's he like, "Hey, use this fucking key and those swords you got." Hawks it at him, and then the and then the fucking Void Knight main villain just grabs it out of the air. It's like, noise. Thank you. <laughs> Yoinked. Yeah, it's also um, it's also kind of funny. Uh, a thing a thing that I like is the fact that in order to activate any of these keys, they have to chomp a jaw. They have to chomp a plastic dinosaur jaw like four times. Mm-hmm. It's so silly. It is it's so, so ridiculous and is large. And it, it feels like large just to sell toys. I, l- I actually really like the multi-key gimmick thing because it gives them the ability to strategize. And we actually see our rangers do that fairly early on. Like we get three rangers at the beginning. We eventually get our we get two more and get our like our five ranger team. Um, But like our three rangers, each one of them equips a different key and then uses them in tandem to defeat a monster. Which is really clever, and I want them to do more of. They haven't really done more of it, as far as I've gotten. Um, but they do. They are. They are. They aren't just. Oh, I hit it better. It's all right. Let's go in with a little bit of strategy. Another thing I really love about this Ranger season, I'm doing in our Rangers game. They went to the media and said, "Hey, if you see this, call this hotline." Yeah, they they set up a hotline and go through social media. In order to like track down monsters and get info on monsters, it's like they don't have like scanning equipment or anything. It's just, just they have a fucking one eight hundred number that people can go. Hey, I saw a monster. Yeah, and it's really clever. Really, like, I mean, sure, you like they haven't shown the episode where they just get a bunch of prank calls, but they did show the episode where like monsters took over their hotline to go steal the monster core things. Cause that's all they want. They just want to get the Sporex cores. Yeah. It's so like, it's also, it's also kinda, so good. It's also kind of interesting. Like having a villain and like, or like having a collective of villains who don't give a fuck about the Rangers. Yeah. They are not in it for the Rangers. The Sporex are in it to destroy and consume. And Void Knight is just in it to get the Sporex cores. Yeah. That's all. He sometimes build robots to help him get them. Yeah. I have a thing I want to do. I'm going to go do it. Oh, the Rangers are here. I guess I'll fight them now. Actually, usually he's like, Minion, go fight them while I continue the thing I'm doing. Hey, Sporex beast that I convinced to join me by going, hey, want to join me? Join me. me. (laughs) That's how he convinces them. It's just, join me. And they're like, okay. (laughs) Okay. I guess you're the boss, right. eh? 
It's great. I love it. I love it. It's so good. It's so dumb. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. Also, I guess for anybody who's not a Power Rangers fan, keep in mind that all this is graded on the curve of Power Rangers. Yes, it's a very solid Power Rangers series so far. Yeah, like us, like us, definitely say, better than Beast Morphers. Like us saying all these things is not is not us going like, oh yeah, they finally made Power Rangers for adults, and it's going to be fucking like it's good. Oh great. no, it is no. not for adults. This at is all. this is all still Power Rangers. If anything, we've said it sound interesting. Keep in mind that it is being filtered through the lens of Power Rangers. Being be, keep in mind it's being filtered through the lens of two people, two grown men. Yes, two men in their thirties. Okay, like, like take that with the biggest chunklet of salt that we can provide. Um. Yeah. For reference, but, my favorite Power Rangers moment is when a man goes, "I'm Scottish." <laughs> I'm Scottish. That's a great one. That's such a great moment. Um. But yeah, Dino Fury absolutely worth the watch if you like Power Rangers. Worth trying if you don't like Power Rangers anymore. Like, if you were like, oh, Power Rangers got really shitty after X point. Yeah. Because it's really enjoyable. Um, we get some returning characters that show up, and it's, like, connected universe stuff, which is great. Yeah, that, that's been um, the case for, like, the last, like, three or four seasons. Yeah, but I, ba- st- I can still yeah. like it. Basically, since Power Rangers started being produced when the comic was being produced. Because the comic is kind of where they brought in... Well, okay, so... So Power Rangers Samurai kind of brought in the concept of the multiverse, and then Power Rangers the comic blew it up into what it is now. Well, RPM brought in, brought into question the multiverse, because it was very, like, every other world, it could just be excused as people just being very forgetful about the Rangers. With RPM, there was no question that this was a different world. Yes, but Samurai is the one where that, that, uh, that established that it was connected to the Rangers worlds. True, yeah. Yeah, like, like it... Like, around that time, people, like, the people in charge of Power Rangers kept going like, hey, disconnect the fucking seasons. And the writers were like, no! That, did you not fucking reinforcements from the future, dude? Forever Red, man! They're like, ah, hey, fuck you. successful episodes. Yeah, also our most expensive. Yeah, those toys don't sell as well anymore. Oh, man. Focus on the main no. season, or you're fired. Um, I I love I I actually I like everybody, but I think it's our Black Ranger. And the only reason I don't like him is because so far he just feels like he doesn't have much character yet. Okay. Like where I am, he it feels like he's just kind of like the I'm the cool dude character. So, Jaw, like, dude. Hopefully, he'll become more of a character as we go on. Like he might be he might be a great character, and I just haven't gotten there yet. Wait, what? Uh, oh, thing right, I'm disappointed in. Sorry, I'm, I'm disappointed. Sorry, in. I was looking at the Dino Fury wiki and then I saw a character called Mick Canick and I was like, who the fuck? Yeah, he's fun. I love Mick Canick. Yeah, and then, and then I looked it up and I was like, right from Ninja. Ninja Steel was fun. <laughs> I don't know, just too many people poop on Ninja Steel. Ninja Steel was fun. Mick Canick is a it's name a that I name. very much it's don't like. It's a great name. It's a great name. I think it's the hard, like, stops going from K to K. I will fight you for it. <laughs> like, I get the pun. I but actually just... think his name would have been better if it had been Mick Anik. Yeah, exactly. Because it's like it's like the fucking hard stop. Yeah, like, like if, if you just go mechanic, then 
it doesn't really play as a name, so you have to go Mick Canick. Yeah, Mick Anik would have been a better option in my opinion, but like I love I love him. He's a great character and I oh, think well, his name We're is not cool. writers. Wait, no, I am. <laughs> we're not Power Rangers writers. I want to be. I'd be I'd be more, I'd more be down to just scream bullshit into a microphone with a funny voice. <laughs> uh anyway. I watched Death on the Nile. Ah, I yes. see it while it's still in theaters. And immediately afterwards it came out on streaming. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. I was very cross. Yeah, um, so this is the latest in the Kenneth Branagh attempting to make Hercule Poirot his retirement role, I guess. Yeah, and like he's great in the role. It's well written, except for a couple of things. Um, there's a death that feels completely unnecessary. Is and it on the Nile? Just like Yes, it's on the Nile. Ooh. Um I don't like I don't like uh the second death. It, okay. It third death, third death. There are three bodies in this movie, one of which does not matter in the least. Uh like literally the death does not matter in the least because like the second death all it does is provide motive for the third death. And that's it. But um I'm not going to spoil who it is. I will say that like Poirot interviews fucking everybody except for the husband. <laughs> and it's like, I get it. It's unlikely that he was the murderer. He's still a likely suspect. Interview him like he's the fucking murderer. Hercule Poirot has never been gentle with people's feelings. Like literally, I think he says that exact line in one of the uh, in one of the TV episodes. Yeah. But it's like it's so there's a love like or there's romance and stuff and they just do it so over the top as if to try and make the audience just be like ew get a room because <laughs> hand to god the married couple in this movie almost have sex on an ancient Egyptian tomb. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. Gotta get the tomb juice in there. It makes the sex better. I also solved the murder, like, way before it happened. <laughs> so that's a point against this. Yeah, and so, I've never read the book that this is based on. Yeah, I was just gonna ask. I've never read the book. I... I haven't read much per Hercule Poirot. Yeah, because like um, it's, it's like it's not super impressive to go like I solved a mystery in this book that came out a hundred years ago. But like they telegraphed it a little too hard and leaned too hard into into a few things that gave away the mystery. Like the only part that I didn't predict was like it was really just me arguing against myself to try and get the most concrete case against one of the murderers. Okay. And it basically was like, well, this could have happened. This is entirely reasonable for it to have happened. And, like, this person could be getting framed. And that's it. Like, other than that, I solved the mystery. And I was just sitting there like, really? So I was completely right. I was right the first time. Fuck you. I look forward to watching this movie and then being entirely lost and not solving the mystery until the very end and then going, oh, that's stupid. Yeah, well, which is my 
modus operandi for most uh, poorly received mystery mystery movies because I am an idiot. Worst part is I was enjoying it up until a point, and like I left the theater like you know that was that was okay. It was a decent movie. Sitting so, here thinking about it, sit, having time to think on it, I. It's better than the uh, train one, but only barely. Okay. And the ending just leaves a lot to be desired. So this is a question, I guess, that I feel I need to ask. Shoot. There are multiple people in this movie in prominent roles who aren't great. Uh, for starters, um, both Russell Brand and Letitia Wright, uh, in the time since this movie was filmed and released, because it's, because it filmed in 2019. Mm-hmm. Since then, something happened that led to a bunch of people, um, not being super down for vaccines, like Russell Brand and Letitia Wright. Oh, yay. And there's also Army Hammer. Yeah. Who, for those who don't know, uh, has had uh, multiple accusations of assault um, and cannibalism brought against him. Just, like, a lot. It's a lot. Uh, Did that color any opinion of the movie for you? Nope. Okay. Because I quite often do not recognize actors in their roles or actors out of their roles. Okie doke. Yeah, because so. that is that is the thing that I'd heard mentioned at a mentioned a couple times when people like we're talking yeah. about the movie itself. I am very capable of disconnecting the actor from the character. Okay. Often to the point where like you can name an actor and I'd be like, who the fuck is that? Then name the character and I'm like, oh, I love them. <laughs> As has been demonstrated on this show. Yeah, multiple times. <laughs> multiple times but, where I've named like actors that everybody knows, and I name one character there and go, oh them. It's <laughs> just like caveman. I know the shame. I know the shame you must feel for having to work with me. <laughs> 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 uh but yeah so look, looking through some stuff about like uh them talking about this apparently Brenna and uh the like people who made it, like michael green and stuff they have been very adamant about them wanting to become wanting this to become a agatha christie cinematic universe where like i'd be okay with that we're like the third like, so they're currently working on a third film uh, which is going to be set in post-war Venice and will be an adaptation of one of the lesser-known novels, according to them. Hmm. And they have also talked about how they want to make a Jane Marple movie. My wife would have a heart attack. <laughs> she is the she loves Miss Marple. Like she adores Miss Marple. I'm probably going to get her the DVD set of the BBC series at some point. Okay, just because that would make that would make her week, make her year. <laughs> Oh, I, th- I thought that was weak. W e a k. Just she gets it. Oh, the, the vapors. It make a week in the knees. It will. I, I, 
Huh. <sighs> yeah, Death of the Nile. Anything else? Uh, nope, that's all I've been watching. All righty then. Uh, so, news-wise, one thing has happened. You know it. I know it. Everyone knows it. And Cave wanted to talk about it. Yep. So the Oscars happened. No one gave a shit until exactly one moment. The moment where Will Smith got up on stage and slapped the fuck out of Chris Rock. To which they then muted the broadcast, but then Japanese footage came out of it un- of it uncensored, and it was Will Smith in the crowd, genuine rage, screaming, Keep my keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth. This is all in response to a joke Chris Rock made. Um saying that Jada Pinkett Smith either uh, okay, I'm, I'm gonna look up the exact wording on the joke because I want to make sure I'm getting this right. And I want to explain to the audience why I want to talk about this. All right. So I don't know if this applies to everybody, but I know like where I grew up, you don't talk about someone's mama. You don't talk about someone's girlfriend unless you want to get smacked. Like simple fact. I 100% support Will Smith smacking the fuck out of a bitch for having the gall to, to, to talk down about his wife. Yes, so I have the joke now. So, for some context, last year, Jada Pinkett Smith announced that she had shaved her head after being diagnosed with alopecia, a medical condition that causes hair to fall out and stop growing, basically. Uh, So Brock said in his thing, uh, Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see you. For those, in, for those who are curious, G.I. Jane was a movie starring Demi, Demi Moore years ago uh, where she shaved her head. Yeah, no, that's not funny because it's an actual, like, she has a medical condition. She didn't do it by choice. She did it because it was the best looking option. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't a fashion statement. Fucking Christ. It was, she has a medical condition and it's like, yeah, okay, cool. I'm going to just deal with it the way I'm going to deal with it. Keep my wife's name out of your mouth. Yeah, that's a fair reaction. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, so... The same fucking way. <laughs> oh, man. And yeah, so then uh, there was apparently discussion within the within the Academy of taking away Will's Oscar, which he won later that night. Yeah, so the rapists, the murderers, the assaulters, all those get to keep their awards. But one guy stepping up to defend his wife. That's got that uh, no, no, not yeah. allowed. Roman Polanski, lifetime achievement award for that man. Will Smith, take his Oscar away. Fucking racists. Ah, uh, yeah. And yes, anyone who's in the com- right ready to write a comment, it's not racist. It's racism. Yeah, remember last year when Parasite won and then in the middle of their speech, the Academy, the people like running the show, turned off the lights and pulled the microphone away? Yeah, it's racism. They probably have to kick themselves like every time they have to give an award to anyone who isn't uh, white. (laughs) Yeah, remember the time Crash won Best best Picture? No. (laughs) Oh, God, Crash. I don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, Crash is a movie that uh, handled its depiction of racism like a seven-year-old. 
Oh, lovely. And they won an Oscar for it. Freaking Christmas. Yeah. So that's that. That's going to do it for the show, I guess. Thank you all for joining us. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll be back at some point. More of this shit. Until then, I'm dead. I'm Cave. We'll see you guys next time. Goodbye. Have a wonderful time. Bye. Yeah.